Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 171. I'm delighted to welcome on to this episode, Colm Smith. Colm is the physical performance coach with Liverpool Women. We touched on a number of different things in this episode. We spoke about coaching in different sports and some of Colm's lessons from working in some of the Irish sports as well back home. We spoke about building relationships, working with female players, the player pathway at Liverpool from under 10s right up to professional. And we touched on some of the approach to strength training that Colm takes with his players as well. So we covered plenty in this episode um, and I hope you enjoy the chat with Colm. Just before we get into the episode, a date for your diaries. We've got an upcoming networking event at Everton Blue Base, Everton in the community, on Wednesday, the 16th of February, 6 till 9 p.m. We have three fantastic presenters for this event. We've got sports scientist at Everton, David Flower. David's going to be presenting on current perceptions regarding under-23s football, implications for player and practitioner development. We've also got performance psychologist at Everton, Lewis Charnock, presenting on making, breaking and remaking a multidisciplinary team in professional football. And also senior lecturer in sports science at Liverpool Hope University, James Malone. James is going to be presenting on the use of cooling therapies for post-exercise recovery, time to chill out. So three incredible presentations from the lads coming up at our next event. You can get early bird tickets available now over at footballfitfed.com. Just click the shop tab, you'll be able to get your early bird ticket. The closer we get to the event, the price does increase as we get closer. So if you are coming, make sure you grab your ticket at the cheapest price possible. Now, just before we get into the episode with Colin, I just want to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Black Box Fitness. Black Box are the world's best training equipment, accessory and apparel brand. Black Box believes that training isn't just a checkbox on your to-do list. Training is a lifestyle. Continually seeking your highest performance in the gym, on the pitch, at home and in everyday life. To perform at your best, you need the best and Black Box has you covered. So be sure to follow them over on social media at BLK Box Fitness. And also Rezzle. Rezzle is the world's leading cognitive training platform for sport. By using VR technology, Rezzle and Player22 can create game scenarios, game style scenarios, and recreate pressure to help you prepare for the real thing. And I know there's plenty of Premier League players that use Rezzle throughout lockdown as well. So go and check both of our sponsors out, Black Box and Rezzle. And a big thank you to them for their ongoing support. But we'll get into the episode now, episode 171, with the physical performance coach with Liverpool women, Colm Smith. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 171. I am joined on the podcast today by Colm Smith. Colm, how are you? How are you doing, guys? Hope, hope all's well. Thanks for coming on, mate. I appreciate you coming on. And Colm, you're the physical performance coach at Liverpool Women's Team. So we're going to touch on some of the roles, responsibilities that you have um, over at Liverpool and, and some of the clubs you've worked on. Uh, worked at previously as well um but do you want to kick us off with sort of the traditional podcast start and give us a little bit of history on yourself the, lo- the lovely background question 
Um, firstly, apologies if you don't understand me. You might need subtitles in this, Ben, when you put it out. Um, so apologies, guys. I'll try and speak slowly. Um, so I come from a place called Cavan in, in Ireland, a little town called Kingscourt. It's basically in the middle of nowhere for people that want to know. Close to Dublin is what I just said to people. Um, but yeah, um, done my undergrad in Ireland, got my first kind of internship in Ireland, um, and then moved to London nearly eight years ago now. Um, so yeah, done my first internship uh, with a company called the National Athlete Development Academy um, in Dublin under a guy called Martin Kennedy, um, who's now at the IRFU. Um, so I've moved to London, um, kind of been everywhere. Uh, started off kind of in rugby mo- mostly. Um, so then a year with Harlequins, then a year with Ealing Trailfinders. Um, all the while working within, say, Gaelic football and hurling cir- circles. So Ben, one gripe I have about this podcast is the Football Fitness Federation podcast. For us in Ireland, football is normally Gaelic football. So we kind of <laughs> go up to American and call it soccer. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Um, that'd be my uh, main sport growing up. So I was lucky when I moved to London. A lot of the people there kind of helped me get my coaching roles there, um, working with various teams across London, London about hurling and football. Um, hurling was a challenging one because I, didn't, I hadn't really played the sport. So it was all this kind of deer and headlights at the start. But then once you get used to it, it was fine. Um, so yeah, then I moved to work with Isha Rugby, which is a, kind of a semi-pro rugby team. And all the while working with Chelsea Women's Academy then. Um, was lucky enough to get a role through a guy called Joe Warwick and Rob Udberg. Um, so I was there for two and a half, nearly three years. That was great. I loved it there. Um, working with every age group from under 10s to under 18s. So I had, I think it was like 74 athletes under under my remit as physical performance coach. Um, and then also working in a private school at the same time. Um, I was lucky enough then a role to come up at West Ham to work with their women's team, which I was successful in getting and was there for, I literally started the role and then four weeks later, COVID kicked in. So I was a remote coach for, for half a season. Um, so yeah, it was, that was, that was bizarre. Um, and then now at Liverpool, so up north. So hopefully my accent doesn't change when I'm up here. You made the wise decision to come north. That's, that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant, mate. Well, um, obviously, I, I think it'd be really interesting to go into some of your time uh, working in the Irish sports, um, hurling and, like you said, football over there. And just whether there's any sort of takeaways that cross over into your current role. Yeah, like it's it's crazy. Like it's kind of an indigenous sport in Ireland. Um, it's kind of what I was brought up playing as well. Um, but kind of growing up through like the different circles, it's it's crazy. Like it's a it's a it's an amateur sport. But when you look at some of the setup, some of the coaches, it's basically run like a professional team. It's it's mad how you how you can fill an eighty three thousand seat stadium for an amateur sport. Um, but it's from from a sport wise for me, it was always quite interesting when I moved to London. I started as like an SNC coach more than anything, working with teams, but then I kind of moved into that technical because I was playing it. Um, and I used to fly over and back from London on weekends to play at home, which was challenging itself. Um, but as a technical coach, you kind of step back a lot of the time and look at your practices and kind of learn off coaches as such. And I think that's, I think that's a massive thing that coaches don't do enough of, is learn from the technical coach, learn from the medical team. 
And it's one thing that I always found interesting. And you learn from the best coaches, you learn from the worst coaches. And uh, that, for me, that was always a big learning curve. And actually, somebody that mightn't be a very good coach, how to manage people, and somebody that can't manage people might be a very good coach. And it's kind of taking them snippets from what you're seeing. And I always found that really, really interesting. But the game itself is a mental game. Like, if you ever want to watch hurling, it's it's a mental game, but it's a great sport. Like, it's a really good sport to work in. Like, the outputs are a little bit less than Gaelic football, but the power of some of the athletes is it's, it's astonishing. Like, um, the challenge in working in it was, in London, I used to have guys coming off a building site on a Tuesday night and a Thursday night. And these guys could be working a jackhammer all day and you're saying, well, you have to do this. And they're looking at, I cannot do that. I just came here to play the sport. Um, and that's kind of getting to know the athlete and getting to know the player. And that's kind of where I started out getting really focusing on that element of coaching is actually getting to know what your athletes are doing. Like I'd have, I might have a guy who's an accountant compared to a guy who's a builder, to a plumber, to an engineer. So you're trying to get all them backgrounds in and then kind of, mold your training from that and you could have the session set up you could have everything ready to go feel looks immaculate cones everywhere and then you get two text messages saying sorry i have to stay on site for an extra two hours i can't turn up mm-hmm. and you kind of have to become really really adaptable in them situations um and gaelic football was similar to be fair and like as i said some of the setups even set up within london ga circles was used to be crazy the detail that people used to go to and what the coaches used to get up to you could get phone calls at work at any time of the day looking for you to pick a team for a game on a sunday and you're trying to think okay well i need to get this gps done so i can't really think of other players at the moment um but yeah like from other sports the learning that i would have talk even for like i worked in rugby i worked at harlequins and it was 2015 and like that was that was a massive learning call for me. That was my first side of professional sport. And I was there for a full season. So I was you're kind of coming home thinking, what actually went on today? Like that was that was a bit nuts. And and for me that was that was a massive year of learning for me. And even the guys that I intern with now, we still speak, uh, Chris McCann and Dan McPartland, like them still very close friends of mine. Um, but it's amazing how you still look out for teams and after. Yeah, it's brilliant. And, and all the stuff that you mentioned before, obviously the challenges you face in that sort of amateur um, sport, even though, like you say, they basically run like a professional club. If you fast forward to working at a club like Liverpool or others working um, at other clubs around the country and, and elsewhere, you're still going to face challenges and you need to be adaptable in that role isn't it it might not be someone ringing off a building site but you might yeah. have someone that picks up a knocking in um in training or whatever it is so that that skill of being adaptable definitely carries over doesn't it regardless of what level of athlete you're working with yeah massively like you see that every day you, you get something every day like somebody picks up something or something happens or the food isn't on time or there's always something that you kind of have to adapt to and be fair, sometimes you either laugh or cry. Sometimes you don't know what to do. Um, but yeah, like some of the challenges there were, well, I mean, like when I look back now, you just sometimes you just have to laugh at yourself. Um, so yeah, it was definitely, definitely a massive learning curve. And then what about, because I spoke about a few, to a few people about this who've worked in both sports, from when the transition from rugby to football, was there any sort of 
big takeaways from that. Obviously, seeing how how rugby work, which essentially is quite different to to football in terms of the preparation. Yeah, it is to be. I was quite lucky to be fair when I finished with Ealing Trail Finders. Um, I went into work with Chelsea, um, and I think my first night, I was at going from working with men's professional rugby players to Chelsea women's RTC under tens, like. 14 player, players looking up at you as if to say, firstly, I don't understand his accent. Secondly, <laughs> what is he trying to do with us? Um, and that was, for me, that was, when I look back, Ben, if I ever look at a team that I learned more of, it was that under 10 team. Because you're told you've got 20 minutes, two times a week, do some sort of S&C with them. And these girls used to be hilarious. It was the, it was the bit of the week that I used to look forward to the most because you get into work with these these girls have no like movement wise for them. We, we, when I started first, I was like, okay, well, what do we actually do with them? Um, and you'll get luck working on the fundamentals. You're doing these different games and stuff like that, but you kind of really have to become adaptable, like really adaptable. And it's similar to that. We had girls coming from all over London, all over Surrey, all over Kent, coming from everywhere um, around the M25. So, um, and it was that start of the session bit that I had. So somebody might be on time. So you have to kind of fit them in as well. Um, but like going from from that rugby setting to to the girls on their tens team, it was it was absolutely brilliant. And it's a definitely a team that I look back on and think that wow. I was actually on the first game of the season for West Ham. We played Brighton, and I was running down the touchline to do a warm up, and I spotted one of the girls and the ball girls at Brighton. I was like. I recognise your face. <laughs> she was one of the girls on the under ten team. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Is it, the other thing about you saying about like being adaptable at that age is, but the other thing about that age, which again crosses right through the, the sort of spectrum of age right up to first team, is the creativity, isn't it? It's capturing their attention and getting what you want out of the session, but also they have to be engaged because if you lose them, especially at that age, they're gone, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's a that's that's a really really strong point. Like, especially even with senior players, like you're in the middle of doing something and they're looking at you, thinking, "Well, what are we actually doing this for?" But you kind of have for me, you have to bring that energy, you have to bring that like intensity, but you also have to have the compliance with that player around that around what you're trying to do. Um, so they will engage with you and will listen to you. But for me, you just have to look them in the eyes a lot of the time and just say, okay, this is what we're doing. Bring a bit of energy to it. And especially at that age, when they're tens, so all they want to do is play. All they want to do is run. I don't know if they wanted to bear crawl a lot of the time, but we've done a lot of bear crawls. Um, but yeah, that was, that was for me, that was probably the biggest learning curve I've had within football and that transition from rugby. From a, from a format-wise, I think rugby taught me a lot, especially within the weight room. Um, when I was a Evening, I worked quite closely with Tom McLaughlin as well. He would have taught me a lot around intensities, what he would have been looking for. He was very open with, with what he was looking for out of a training session, out of a game, out of a report. And to me, that was that was massive learning for me at the time. And I think his biggest thing was keep it simple. And that was the bit that I loved the most. Just keep it the weight room really, really simple. And yeah. for me, that's that's still massively part of what I do now. Yeah, brilliant. We talk all the time about building relationships and how important it is, obviously, for job opportunities, but also when you're in a club um, to get the most out of your players and 
to be effective in your role. I thought it'd be good to sort of ask you around what's your approach? So when you're going in, when you've gone into a club like Liverpool, with that in your mind, which I'm sure it was that you needed to build those relationships with players, with coaches, with, with physios or whoever, what's the sort of approach that you take? Um, yeah, it's, it's always a difficult one because especially with senior players, younger players are a little bit more adaptable. They haven't had that much experience with SNC coaches or physical performance coaches. But when I go into a senior, when you go into a senior team, a lot of the players have experience with coaches, be it good, bad, or indifferent. For me, it's just to open up a little bit, show how, show what you're like. Um, as you can guess from me, I'm bubbly, I'm energetic. I've, I like to have a bit of crack as such. Um, but I like to, I like to be very individual with a player. I like to know my players as individuals. Where the, like the simple question of how are you, where are you from, and just to kind of get that little bit of buy-in and listen. Like I think a lot of coaches like to talk and like to, or if they don't like to talk, they stand in the background and ask no questions. Well, I'm quite upfront um, and say, how are you? How are you today? Um, even just sitting down with them. So I normally give it like two or three weeks off the programme and then I have individual sit-downs with the players and just to see how they're getting on. Like, and I'm quite open to say it that I've had players say, this programme is going to work for me after two weeks. And I'm like, class, that's just mm-hmm. what I wanted to hear. Because if you don't have that dialogue with the player, then that programme is not going to work for the player. And a lot of the time, the player just go and do their own thing. And that's the last thing you want, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Because you need to do what the player needs and you can f- filter into that as you need. Um, but from a relationship point of view, compliance is probably the big thing for me. Just basic trust. Um if your players trust you and trust what you're doing, then you have a healthy relationship. If they don't trust what you're doing, then it's very, very hard to win that back at times and you have to spend a lot of time getting that back. Um, I think the only time I lose that is when I have to do an offside line during training and I give a bad decision. Maybe that's the only time I might lose that a little bit. Um, but yeah, I'm for me, gaining that compliance, gaining that trust. And staff is the same exact same thing. Um like in our office, I have the sports therapist beside me, I have the physio beside me, and us three talk openly throughout the day. Um, and our coaching staff is in the same office, so it's it can be hectic at times. Some of the conversations can be can go, can be speaking about anything at all. Um, but it's always good for me to have that open dialogue um, and have that bit of energy around the room. I've been at places where there isn't that energy that hasn't been that crack that openness and they're not good places to be in sometimes but definitely like where I am at the moment are the energy levels the engagement that we get from coaching and and the multidisciplinary team is for me it's probably one of the best environments that I've been been in um I'd say if somebody from the outside came in they'd be like wow that office is absolutely mental um and that's just from me talking to the goalkeeping coach a lot of the time um but yeah, it's compliance for me is the big thing. Gain compliance, gain trust, and then go from there. Yeah. And with that, you obviously without mentioning clubs and people, you said about being in environments that aren't like that. Do you think that's down to personalities? Do you think that's down to sort of culture that's been created previously? Like what, what do you think that's down to? If someone's sort of in that environment now, they're thinking, no, that's that's our club. Like we need to be better at this. Like where do you think they're lacking? 
Yeah, like it's it's always an interesting one. Like I remember somebody said to me that how do people feel about you when you walk into the room and how do they feel when you walk out? If you walk into the room and the room lights up, then happy days. If you walk into the room and the room goes quiet, you know that there's something wrong. Um, and vice, and that's that can be an outside person. And they walk in, how do they affect the room? Um, and that can, that can be very, very easily done. You know yourself, if you're in the office, a little pair walks in, a lot of the times the shields go up because that's just the way it is. But um, I think if you're in, a, in an environment, I think you need to enjoy your environment. Like, I am very lucky. Our manager um, at Liverpool, Matt, is... Oh, he's he's hilarious. Just the way he goes on, he's like a Cockney slang, and I t- he doesn't understand me. I don't don't understand him sometimes. So it's a it's all these Cockney rhyme and slangs, and we take the mick out of him the whole time about that. But um, he just has a the, the, we have a really good environment where the places I've been to, it's sometimes the intensity can take over, and everything kind of can become too intense, and intensity and nobody wants to to say what they want to say because they're afraid to say it like i think at our office you could say anything and you get you might get shot down but a lot of the time somebody laugh at you or or take on board what you have to say and it can be from the smallest thing to the biggest thing but it's an open forum i find it's an open forum and if somebody doesn't agree with you somebody says it and i think that's the beauty of it and nobody takes offense like i think since since coming to Liverpool, I don't think you can take offence to anything anybody says to you because if you do take offence, you're going to be struggling. Um, I'm not sure if that's an ordinary thing, so I'm, I'm leaving that up for debate. Um, but that's one thing that I love, that if it's, said, if it's said in the room, it doesn't leave the room. Where some environments, it leaves the room, and then you're picking up pieces for ages after that. Just a quick one on our online community. If you're not already a member, you need to go and check it out. We've recently had sign-ups right across the world. So we've had clubs, practitioners from clubs at Trinidad and Tobago, Greece, Ireland, the Faroe Islands, and a number of a number of other countries as well. So wherever you are in the world, it gives you access to other practitioners in the game, as well as all the content we've got available on the community, webinars, presentations, member discounts. So go and check it out. You can grab yourself a free month on the community by going to footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab at the top. Sign up there. It'll give you a free month so you can see what it's all about. After the free month, it is only £4.99 per month going forward. And you will get continued access to all the content that's available now, including all of our upcoming networking events, including the event at Everton, all those presentations will be going onto the community as well. So go and check it out. If you've not already had your free month, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign up there and join our online community. Here's part two of the podcast with Colm Smith. I'm sure anyone that's listening to this, if there's anyone that came to our Salford meeting, Damien Hughes spoke about banter. And, and he had... He basically, he was he was basically saying that if if we're talking about banter, it's it's people's way of being like a dickhead. I think he said. But then I questioned yeah. him on it, and I just said like, every, every club, there's going to be an element of that. So where does it cross the line? And basically, his point on it was like to be in an environment like yours, where it can be really open, like you can have a laugh with other people, they'll have a laugh with you, like that's quite even when it does cross the line, 
is when it's at someone's expense, where it's the same yeah. person or the same thing that's being brought up all the time. But I think it's an important point, isn't it? Because like I, I like we've all used banter. We we know that banter is a phrase that gets knocked around, and especially in a changing room. Um, and I think there is a place for it. But I, I agree with Damien in the fact that there can be a point where it does cross over as well, can it? Yeah, yeah, massively. Like, I think if you walk into our office, just between me and the goalkeeper, I think we drive, the goalkeeper and coach, we drive everybody else in the office mad because we kind of go at each other a lot of the time. And if you're caught in the crossfire, that best of luck to you. But I think with that, you, you kind of have to be able to take it. I think that if somebody can't take it, don't don't bother engaging because... I, I'm quite thick-skinned. If somebody says something to me, I'm quite thick-skinned with it. And I think it's one it's one area for me that I find a strength with me and that if a player looks to have that, that I can give it back. And like as an S&C coach, as soon as the music comes on in the gym, somebody's going to get slated by me. Um, it can be good, it can be bad, it can be indifferent. They're going to get some sort of a comment. Um, but you have to be able to take it as well. And... I know it's a hard thing to say, but just don't take it too seriously. Like it's it's very very simple. Um, yeah. But don't overstep the mark. Read the room. Probably a lot of the time, if the room's quiet. Stay quiet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, we couldn't talk without talking about working with female players because I think it's a it's a really um, important area. And I know you've had exposure to working with male athletes and female athletes. So I think it'd be important to go into your work with the female player? Because I know we have a lot of listeners that work with female players as well. Um, so just firstly, like the, the sort of, any of the main differences that you feel that you see that affects your practice from working from males to females? Yeah, like for me, a female athlete, there is a, there is a difference. First and foremost, physiologically, there is a difference, but it's, it's going back to knowing the athlete and what affects that athlete. Um, like menstrual cycle, if somebody's affected badly in phase one or pre-menstrual or pre-coming on menstruation, then you know that. You should know that as a coach working with female players um, and being able to read that within the player. If a player comes in and the low energy levels and they might say, column, just so you know, this is where I'm at. You can take that into consideration. And I'm lucky the manager's worked in Female, female sport a long time I can go in and say just so you know this player this is how she's feeling just to take that into consideration and to be honest with you every player is different every player is different in the symptoms they get how they feel the coordination could be off they mightn't feel well they might have low energy levels but it's just speaking to the player and actually having that open dialogue um, from, a, from a, a training load point of view I think females female footballers prefer the gym a lot more um, I think they really see the importance of a tr- true risk of injury to them or they've seen it in the past and they want to stay on top of things. Now, there is players who don't like doing prehab as such. Some of the players are... Like, we've got players who could spend 40 minutes prepping themselves for, for sessions and doing all they need to do. And I, like, I'm very lucky. at my med- The medical team that I work with, like Chris and Hina, are brilliant with that. And they'll help players and we'll devise prehab players for every player that we have and working on the weaknesses that we can see if it's an injury history thing that we can work on that in prehab or if it's something that we feel that they need to work on physically, we can dose it during prehab. But we got very, really good buy-in off the players on that. So we structured so the players have their individual time and in that they'll do their individual programs. 
Now, you might look in the corner and somebody's doing keep you up, he's got a tennis ball, but <laughs> two minutes later, they can be doing their balance walk. Um, but I think with the female athletes, they're, they are a lot more aware, I find, and they're, they're very diligent with the strength stuff. Like, we've got girls who are doing two, two strength sessions a week in a power session because that's how they feel their body will work best. Um, and I think, uh, no disrespect to the male athlete, but the female athlete asks a lot more questions sometimes and, and wants more information. Like, a lot of the girls, will, well, I get a text on a Sunday night after a game, Colin, can I have my GPS for the day, please? Or can I know my numbers for the week and what was my jump scores? And I get them messages. You can get that messages at any time of the day. And for me, that's that's fantastic. Mm. Sometimes it's hard to switch off, but like... It's great that a player wants to know where they're at and will ask them questions. Um, but yeah, I think the big thing with the with female athletes is the menstrual cycle. And it is a shame that there's not a lot of research around it. And it's, it is kind of a mixed area. But I think as a coach, if you're working in the fe- in, within fe- with female athletes, get to know your athletes, get to know their symptoms, get to know their contingency plans. How did they tackle that? And if they've had it before, what have you done previously? If you haven't had it before, let's get a contingency plan. Um, and it's, it's having that open dialogue with them and be authentic with them. Like, ask them. Just don't, don't pass it off because it is, it is a massive area and it can affect their performance. Like, I know there is mixed studies on it and does it affect your performance? It might affect 5% of somebody's performance, but that 5% is... Is massive when it, at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, for me, it's it is just get to know wh- what they do and how they move, and then go off that. Be individual. Don't treat them as uh, as a generic person. Try and be as individual as possible with them, um, because they could be in contraception. They might not be in contraception. So it's how do you deal with that? Um, so yeah, it is for me. It, it is it is different. Like I'm not saying the male athlete is easy, not in any any way, shape, or form. The male athlete definitely isn't easy. I think my wife will attest to that. Um, <laughs> I love, I still call myself an athlete. Um, so yeah, I think it's a, I think it is there. There is a difference, but at the same time, just know your athlete. And when you've mentioned um, before about the attitude towards strength training and the sort of priority that the majority of female players put behind it. We've talked about this before on the podcast, and I, I think it's definitely seems to be true, it, like as an overall statement. Um, why do you think that is? Why do you think why do you think women are prioritizing it? They see the importance behind it, whereas some, and this is obviously talking very broadly now, but some um, men, some male players don't. Um, I think it's because the CD, the, the, in, the injury risk is higher, especially like for an ACL injury. We all know like it's what, one in like seven times more likely or the research is varied on that. But I think the females see that either previous injury history of, okay, well, I've hurt my knee, I've done my ACL. I've seen how important that is to do my rehab and then make sure that my strength's up. Or I've seen a friend do an ACL, seen how much horse strength work has helped hold them back. And for me, it's, I think they're just a little bit more aware of that and more aware that they need the strength. Um, especially like we, from, from working in, in basically in, in senior sport, I think a lot of them come across more knee pain, might necessarily be an ACL, might be a little like tendon problems. And they see that, okay, well, if I load that before I go on the pitch or if I load it after, that it's helping the problem. 
And I think a lot of the time, I know for us at Liverpool, we get a lot of buy-in from that. Okay, it's going to help me problem or it's going to maintain it. It's not going to get any worse with that. And actually showing them them, them little wins. Um, I'm a big person of showing an athlete, okay, you've done this, now you've got here. Like, mm. And just showing them the progression. And I think that goes at every athlete. If you show them, okay, well, your powers, you've done this, now you're here. Why? And make them think about it. And it's not because they've been running around the pitch. That is going to contribute to it. But a lot of the time that comes from your basic strength and increasing your basic strength. Um, and then your movement comes with that as well. And just showing them that. For me, it's, it's a massive thing. Just sit down and say, right, this is where, you're, this is where you are. This is where you are now. Um, and I think COVID, the first lockdown kind of helped me with a lot of players like that and that we could work on a lot of that type of stuff and actually get their basic aerobic fitness up, get their basic strength up. up. Like we used it as a great opportunity to be fair when I was at West Ham and that, okay, we can increase this player's aerobic capacity just by, by be, either being a bike or out on the road. Um, so yeah, for me, that's, and now we're going into an off season. I can see how that helps now for me in off season, the first big bugbear I have in an off season, it's called an off season. So yeah. use it as the word off. Um, so yeah, it's, I think from from a gym from a gym perspective and from a strength perspective, I think the girls are a little bit more aware, probably due to previous injury or seeing previous injuries. So that'd be my big takeaway on that one normally. And can we go into a bit of structure on the week for the for the first team in terms of the gym work mainly in terms of what that actually looks like? Yeah, so for us we our days vary in times to be honest with you on report times that we normally come in we have a prehab um a lot of our girls will do some some work in their prehab around their individual needs if you have an achilles problem you lose some some calf raise isometrics and just hold on that position um i'm very good i'm very our sports therapist chris underwood he's and he now like they're brilliant at pro, pro, programming that alongside me and helping with that um and we kind of go off a lot of Alex Natera's work um, within the AFL and within Aspire. He's like, some of his stuff is unbelievable with that. And some of the benefits I've seen to some of that stuff has been exceptional. Um, now, if a player doesn't have, doesn't need that, they can go and do the balance stuff. I'd see a lot of kind of hip issues, hip mobility issues. So we do a good bit of hip mobility with players who need that. If somebody's got knee tendon problems, They'll do a lot of isometrics around the leg press, wall sits, eccentric, single leg squats. Um, and then we kind of went to our activation, our proprioception, and then out on the grass. Um, then when they come in after, they can have an upper body split or a lower body split. And then some of them will also do an additional power session. Um, so the upper body could be choose their match day plus two. Lower body could be match day minus four. And then the power stuff is normally match day minus two. Um, so some people do power primers and match day minus one. I'm completely honest with you. My players don't like that because they don't want to feel sore for a game. So do I go off what science says and say, okay, let's do this match day minus one. But my players don't like it. So at the end of the day, it's them taking the pitch. It's not me. So you kind of have to pull your neck in a little bit sometimes in that. Um, and a lot of people disagree with that. But for me, you say it to the player and say, oh, you get on. Um, yeah. That's all. That's all. That's kind of the way we structure our gym. Our gyms are gym sessions are really, really basic. Upper bodies push, pull, push, pull, and then we do some trunk work. 
um, along with we set up med ball walk, med ball slams, can't do med, med ball slam. If they if they want to do, they can do a hang clean. Um, lower body wise, it's normally some sort of plyos to start with, some sort of reactive walk walk. Um, then in the squat pattern, can't do a squat pattern, trap bar deadlift or leg press. Um, then just into accessory stuff as well. Accessory stuff as well. So we can can we touch on some of the pathway then? So that's obviously at first team level, but working up from we spoke about the under tens before. Can you give a little bit of a breakdown what it looks like in terms of physical performance from the under tens, gearing them up to to first team? Yeah, like uh, it's the fe- the female athlete kind of hits puberty a lot bit earlier than the male. So come again. So if you're doing what, a, what, a, what, a, what the boys should be doing compared to the girls I think you kind of have to look at that like I used to look at our under 12s when I was at Chelsea and our under 12s if you put our under 12s against the boys under 12s our under 12s would be stronger than them mm. in some of the movements because they're more mature but I think for them basic age groups it's basic movements like bear crawls squat a little, little bit of squat pattern a little bit of upper body but I used to find that with the under-12s, if they go away for the summer and they're looking up at me when they come back in, I'm looking at them because they're nearly the same height as me, some of them, when they come back in. And automatically, their movement pattern has gone out the window. They're like Bambi. So you kind of have to retrain that and retrain that. For me, the big thing was with that, Ben, was kind of get them strong on a single leg, trying to get them strong landing and making them aware of how to land. Um, I'd never seen netballs till I came to this country. Never seen netball in Ireland. I remember I think I had my eyes closed for the majority of the first netball match I watched. I think it's an unbelievable sport because it's just jump and land, jump, land. And I remember thinking, wow, this sport is mental. But showing the players and, and actually working on that type of jump, land, jump, land, jump, land. Because a lot of the ACLs that you see in female sports is non-contact as such. So I was actually working on that pattern and getting them stronger in their, in their movements. Um, so, yeah, but it's, again, it should be done basic. Like, when we, when, for me, 14s, they can start lifting. 16s, they can, can be lifting. Like, for me, there's no age where it's, they're too young to start lifting and moving. Like, they don't have to lift a big weight, just get competent. Just get competent. Like, I've seen players come into the first team who aren't competent. So, yeah. I'm, I'm automatically going back two or three years and, programming them like a 16 year old even though they're 21 22 because they need that education and that's not a quick fix that's not a quick fix in the smallest in the, in the slightest way that they have they need consistency for about six months more until you can for me i'm happy to load them hmm. yeah because there's a lot of factors that go into that in those years leading up to first team isn't there like i'm sure you'll have players coming in from abroad from different academies it's not always that they've come through your academy from such an early age and you've had full control. So that is always going to be a bit of a challenge, isn't it, when people are coming from different environments? But I suppose when they have come through your club, your environment, it's making sure that they are as ready as they can be to step into that point. Yeah, massively. And like, I, I, I think people in this country are very lucky. The FA are very, very good with the physical stuff. Like, some of the international federations like aren't as aren't as forward thinking as the FA and some of the stuff that they they've done in the past. Like I think when you're when I reflected on it in the last few months, like 
they are doing some unbelievable work. And like for me, some of the some of the coaches in there are fantastic coaches. And I I tell people to reach out to them coaches. And if you're working in a club, get what them coaches are looking at. And like say for example, Ruth Waghorn, for example, like she's a fantastic coach. Conversation with her the other day about two of the players that we have within the England pathway and like you come away thinking, yeah, that's definitely right. Yeah. Um, and and the help that, that a coach like Root can give me is massive because it's a different pair of eyes for me and two athletes that I'd see three times a week. Um, but yeah, the, to be fair, the, the FA are, are very good with that. Now, I've had players come in from different countries with no lifting background. Mm. Um, and your first day of preseason and you're trying to program for somebody who's competent. And then you might have to say, right, give me 10 minutes and then I'll work with you and you could spend the majority, you could spend 75% of that gym session working with that person who needs it. And then another 25 with the rest of the team, oh, that's a team of 20 players. Mm. So for me, it's very important that competency coming into a first team. Yeah, definitely. And the, what's the next sort of step in terms of that pathway? Cause I know we, we had a little chat before we started recording about, uh, working on that and um, improving the sort of pathway at the club like what's the next step for you especially sitting in the role that you're in yeah like I'm quite new to the role that I'm in so I'm looking forward to getting involved in that um, I'd be speaking to the 21s S&C uh, Stephen McCullum he's fantastic at what he does as well he just finished a PhD and like some of the work that they're trying to do now at the moment and just kind of layer that. So when they come into the first team, like I'd see the first team players that come into us and I'm looking at them in the gym and I'm smiling because I'm thinking, yes. <laughs> um, so for me, it's, it's always a different coach, but I think sometimes within the industry, and I think everybody's can be a victim of it is like help coaches through the pathways. Don't say, Oh my God, they're coming up to us. They're not fit to move. Like speak to the coach and see, okay, what are they good at and what can they improve when they come up to us? Um, I think that's a massive thing. Like I think a lot of the time we spend time on the fence. Okay, an academy player is coming up to the first team. What are they going to be like? Speak to the SNC coach at the academy. See what they're like. Get their take on the athlete. And it's mm-hmm. a massive help when you know what's coming into you. Um, I try and speak to other coaches before receive a player as well. Um, like strength coaches so say if we have a player coming from a different country who's worked with a strength coach actually speak to that coach and say okay well what am I working with what are they good at what do they need um, and the international federations are normally quite good at that um, and touching base with the with the SNC coaches there so yeah Brilliant. no that's quality I think we've covered some good stuff there we'll we'll move it on to um, the quick fire on the, on the end of the podcast so just a few little questions for you. First one being, who are some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Oh, I think I'm to shout people wife. out. If, it, if I didn't say my wife, I'd be killed first. Um, Always a safe yeah, one. That's, that's, a, that's a safe one. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, probably my family. My family is very involved in coaching. Um, like some of the coaches that I've worked under, Tom McLaughlin. Um, at Ealing Trail Finders, Joe Warwick at Chelsea was fantastic for me. What a man. Um, so, yeah, to name a few, Martin Kennedy was my first SNC coach and gave me my first internship. Um, yeah. Real. And then what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? Oh, probably energy. Um, 
probably the energy that I bring. Um, get to know my players. So from a coach-athlete relationship, I think that's probably one of my strongest areas in getting to know my athletes. Um, so yeah, let's go with that. Real. And then final one, what's your approach to CPD? Like continual learning, like being busy in your role, what sort of approach do you take to that? Yeah, I think it's... <sighs> Well, I think it's vital. Like, it's if you're not learning, if you're not looking to see what what you can learn. And as I said at the start of the podcast, that can be from the worst coaches or the best coaches. Just take something from them. Um, I'm not going to lie. About six months ago, I stopped reading about S and C and kind of mowing into like the coaching part of it. And I think that's an area that's so neglected within the industry. And actually, coaches and working with coaches and learning off coaches. Um, like Eddie Jones is a perfect example of that, listening to a lot of his stuff. I know he's the England rugby manager, rugby coach, being Irish, I still have to listen to him. But <laughs> there's like he's a perfect example of to learn from. And I think SNC coaches need to kind of step out of the bubble and say, okay, well, show me a good coach, let me learn from them. And then like SNC coaches, some of the coaches out there are phenomenal to learn from. And like I was at walking this morning listening to Stuart McMillan's podcast with you, and I was thinking, how am I going to actually? back this guy up because <laughs> some of the points that you actually have to a lot of the time I find that with podcasts you kind of have to stop and take note um, of something that agree that you agree with or you might disagree with mm. and what is your take on that um, but yeah for me CPD it's if you're not if you're not learning then you're going, just going to get left behind eventually well then on on the sort of resource topic, you've just mentioned Eddie Jones. Um, and I fully agree. Like I think there's so many good coaches out there stepping away from football, even like we need to open our minds up a little bit to different sports and not even sport as well. Like there's a lot of good coaches out in, bi- yeah. in the business world and stuff too. What um what would be your some of your top resources, top books that you that you've read if you're a reader or top um articles, podcasts like that you've listened to? Yeah, I think my wife would laugh at me if she said about me reading books. I'm <laughs> a very, very slow reader. Um, yeah, like for me, like the Bill Walsh, Bill Walsh type books, John Wooden books, um, would have taken a lot from them earlier in my career. Um, I'm more of an audio book person that if I'm traveling and I listen to a book, um, some of the ones out there are just, just, just forget the last one I had. Probably Fear by, um, oh, what was the name? Shucks the FA. Um, yeah, like Rick Charlesworth is a guy that I'm, I'm reading at the moment. He's a he's a former Australian hockey coach. He's a, basically Eddie Jones actually said about him on a podcast and I bought two of his books and I started cracking into them over Christmas when I had COVID myself in isolation. Um, and to be honest with you, I read the first 150 pages and I'm back to read the 150 pages again um, purely because there's just some nuggets of information in it. Um, Webinars, I tried, to, I tried to sit down in COVID and do as much webinars as possible. And I think if you're an S, young SC coming up now, there's more webinars out there. Like the webinars that you have done previously, like for me, they're invaluable. And you mightn't agree with everything. Mm. You might think, okay, I'm going to put it, put, it, put this into practice, but have your take on what you want to get out of, uh, of it. Um, like Catapult put some great stuff up. Statsports put some great stuff up. Battle put some great stuff up. So many things out there, resources. But I think it's important for a coach to actually say, okay, well, this is what I think. And actually have your take and not 
not going into training on a Tuesday morning and trying to do 75 different things because you watch four podcasts or listen to four podcasts over the weekend. Um, it's just having a few takeaways and then putting them into practice bit by bit um, might just help you as a coach. It's being a critical thinker, isn't it? Like when you're listening to information, it's like you say, taking the bits out that are relevant for now, but then also question it. Just, just because Eddie Jones has said something doesn't mean we have to fully agree with it. We're going to take loads from what he says, but we don't have to agree with every single point and it might not be relevant for you in your position either. So it's just, it's creating that sort of critical thinking mindset, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, massively. Like I done my master's in St. Mary's University. Dan Cleather was the program director on it. And I remember having a web, uh, having a chat with him about stuff and he kind of told me what to do. And just have no bias, just go in thinking, okay, well, how am I going to be critical about this? And sometimes it can be good, sometimes it can be bad, because you're coming out thinking, well, that was absolutely useless. And you go and read it a few months later and you think, yeah, that was actually good. Yeah. Um, so you kind of have to be, you have to be critical. You have to be some, you have to have some sort of critique about what you're doing and what you're reading. And as I said, you mightn't agree with everything, but you might take some good, some good out of you, you take some good out of something. That's what I'd normally say, like, if it's good, bad, you're going to take something from it. Yeah. Brilliant. So, yeah. Colin, this was quality. Really enjoyed it. So, thank you very much for coming on. Um, just finally, just give us your, um, the, well, the best place for people to reach out to, whether that's social media or, or what. Yeah. Uh, Twitter or probably Instagram. Um, quite lucky in that I have a unique name. Um, the only, only only other people that I know have the same name as me are two my, my actors Actually, my two, my dentist, the home is the same name as me. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's Colin Smith thirteen on Twitter, and uh, the same on Instagram. Um, so yeah, just reach out to me. I'm more than happy to help young coaches, especially like it's. I've been in that position. Um, I will try and get back to them as early as possible. Um, but yeah, I'm normally on that. I'm on LinkedIn as well. So just reach out. I'm I'm an open book when it comes to stuff like that. Perfect. And have you got your um, dentist's Twitter handle as well? Or do you want to leave that one out? I think he might have got the column smith. He probably was the blue tick, but I'll never get that. Uh, okay. okay, so ignore that yeah. one and then go for yours. No, the, no, if the blue tick one is me, I'd be very, very surprised about it that way. <laughs> Brilliant, mate. Well, thank you very much for your time. Um, I think we covered no, some good stuff man. in there, so I really appreciate you coming on. Cheers, mate. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you to Colin for coming on the podcast and giving up his time. It was great to chat with him. I think we covered some really good stuff in this one. And I've got to say, Colin seems like a top guy as well. So I think that's an important takeaway initially is that you should be able to have conversations with coaches and come away buzzing from the conversation like I did with Colin. Um, you need to be easy to talk to, easy going, have a bit of a laugh. And I think that came across in the podcast as well. And I'm sure there's practitioners out there that have worked alongside Colin that, that will agree with that. It's obviously the case at their club as well that he spoke about that environment in the office. And I think that is important. So in terms of takeaways, he spoke about learning from technical coaches, but also learning from the best and the worst. And I think I don't see that as being a negative. I think that is a really important point. Sometimes it is a case of learning what not to do more than what to do um, or what approach not to take rather than what to take. I think that's really important. Um, and that that sort of opens you. You have to go in for an open mind and, and sort of contest some things, not necessarily to the coach out loud, but in your head on how you would prepare um, or how you would approach things slightly differently. 
And I think that also ties in with the chat I had with Ben Ashworth, because he was talking about in those positions where you go into more of a leadership position, you should be thinking when you're not in those leadership positions, so maybe some of the decisions that you would make, even if you don't end up stepping into those positions, I think it's a good mindset to take. He said about learning most from under 10s. And I think this is a little lesson for especially young coaches. You need to give yourself um, exposure to working with different age groups. Like even if it is a case of you wanting to end up in a first team, I think there's plenty to take away from working with academy ages, working with um, male groups, female groups in different sports. There's so many coaches that speak about experiences working in different scenarios that they end up in. And I think it's really important that you expose yourself to those um, that, and I don't think you'll realise at the time some of the skill sets that you'll take away from it as well. He said about bringing energy. He certainly brought energy to the podcast. So I think that that will definitely cross over into it, into his coaching as well. And having open chats and conversations, I think that's a really important point as well. Um, I, do, I do think that comes a lot down to the environment that you work in. I think there's certain environments that are better than others. But how can you add to that? If your environment isn't the best and you don't feel like you can have the best open conversations with people, is there anything you can do in that environment to improve it? I think that's a a good question to ask yourself. So plenty of takeaways as always on this podcast from me, but I do love to hear yours as well. So please give us a retweet, give us a share on Instagram, post some of your takeaways on social media as well because it gives people a little insight into what's in the podcast and go and give Colm a follow he's over on Twitter at ColmSmith13 and Colm is spelled C-O-L-M Smith and then the number 13 on the end Um, go and give him a follow and if you've got any feedback I'm sure he'd be keen to hear as well so big thank you again for listening we've got some really um, exciting episodes coming up over the next few weeks we've got a coach um, a head of physical performance from a champions league club we've got a managing director a strength conditioning coach and running coach coming up as well so keep an eye out for those episodes that are going to be dropping over the next few weeks thanks again for your support and i'll speak to you again in episode 172